more. Is it possible to actually ever be truly content? Because most of us live life either wanting what we don't have or realizing that what we wanted and actually got just isn't enough to truly satisfy. But Paul said in the scriptures that he learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And that's a secret I think we all want to know. So let's talk about it today on Dreamers and Disciples. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. My name is Wade Joy, and I hope you're having an amazing day today, whether you're listening on your way to work, maybe you're on a walk right now, wherever you are, I greatly appreciate you taking just a few moments out of your day to join me on this podcast journey. I don't take it lightly as we learn to reset your rhythms and renew your dreams together. And I'm really excited to talk about contentment today. I think there's a lot that God wants to speak Uh, to you and to me uh, in today's episode. But first, let me start with something fun, a free gift that I recently released just for you. It's an ebook called Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul. And in this digital workbook, I'll walk you through in a very practical step-by-step manner how to evaluate your current rhythms in seven key areas of your life. And then I guide you through how to establish healthier rhythms in each of those. And I really think it helps you find more clarity, more peace, and joy in your life as you create the space for God to speak to you. So go ahead, get that free ebook at wadejoy.com, W-A-D-E-J-O-Y-E.com. And I'd love to hear uh, maybe what rhythm uh, helped you the most, where you needed to establish a new rhythm in your life the most. So let me know that on Instagram or in the, the reviews for the podcast. And let me thank you to everyone who shares these episodes, whether you're texting them to a friend or you're sharing it on Instagram or Facebook. I'm really grateful that you would do that. It means a lot to me. Uh, but with all that being said, let's dive into contentment today. And the question, is it possible to actually be content? And, you know, this podcast is called Dreamers and Disciples. Can a dreamer ever truly be content? Uh, We've talked a lot about dreaming uh, in the first several episodes and how being a dreamer is a gift from God that helps motivate us to use our unique gifts and to use our passions and desires to bring about new ways to live out the kingdom of God in this world. And since dreaming is seeing something that isn't reality or it's seeing something that you don't have and wanting to bring that reality to life, then how can you be content? Because we know that the Bible teaches us that we should be content, which sometimes we think means that we're just supposed to accept your circumstances as they are and do nothing to change them, which that seems to fly in the face of what being a dreamer is. And we're going to get to that tension in a moment. But contentment is one of these those churchy words that I've never really liked because mainly I believed it meant that either life had to be perfect or I had to pretend like it was perfect when everyone knew it wasn't. Uh, So do we actually even know what true biblical contentment looks like? I believe most of us, whether we would admit we think this or not, operate like contentment is a perfect feeling that is only achieved when every circumstance in our life is exactly how we want it to be. And that perfect feeling is very, very rare. Uh, So we operate between two extremes in the search for contentment. One extreme is not getting what we want, and always thinking there's more out there. And I I remember the first time I ever felt that way. 
Uh, I was in elementary school in Columbia, South Carolina, and my parents might have been a tad overprotective. I knew they were doing it for my good, though, uh, now that I'm a, a parent myself. But I remember all my friends could ride their bike everywhere through the neighborhood, wherever they wanted to. But I had to stop at the stop sign at the end of my road. And I would get so sad every day when my friends would get tired of this one road. You know, they'd try to be kind to me and, and you know, hang out near my house for a little while. But eventually they wanted to explore just the wild world out there that was beyond that stop sign. And I would just stop my bike at the stop sign and just watch them ride away. And I had all these thoughts of the amazing things that were out there beyond the stop sign. And I would come home and I would be mad and I would pout. I remember one day I just threw my bike up against the fence and I wrote, I think it's probably the first song I ever wrote, and it was called Nobody Understands Me. And that was pretty much the whole song. I just sang that line over and over and over again, Nobody Understands Me. So I got the whole idea of simplicity and repetition in a song. But I remember that was the first time that I ever felt like I'm missing out on something else that everyone else is getting to enjoy. So that's one extreme of contentment. And hey, I got to eventually make it past the stop sign and it wasn't all that great. Uh, The other extreme though comes from getting what you want. And full disclosure, I have lived and continue to live a very blessed life. And many of you um, would say the same thing right now in this season of your life. And so this battle for contentment isn't just for the valley. When you're in the valley seasons, yes, you want to be on the mountain. But you know, a lot of times when you're on the mountain, it's all good until you look over and realize that there's another mountain that is higher and that looks better and that someone else is on. And so you might get what you want, but then quickly you realize, well, hey, this doesn't satisfy the way I thought it would, or, well, now I want something else. And so you're only satisfied for a moment and you become disillusioned because it's not enough. And so with those two extremes, it's easy to see why contentment can feel out of reach, why it can feel elusive. And to complicate matters, a dreamer is someone who wishes things were different than they are. So if you think contentment means that you have to be happy with every situation, which I thought was the case growing up, then you just can become passive and just accept anything no matter what comes your way. But is contentment really about just accepting things and being passive or lazy? Because that doesn't fall in line with what the Bible teaches about hard work, about multiplying what we've been entrusted with, with being faithful. So kind of to sum it all up, we all want to be content. We just don't always know what it actually looks like or how to get there. So you want to be content with your career. You want to be content with your finances. You want to be content with your relationships, content with the way your dreams are coming to pass. You want to be content with the timing of your life. And so you have this perfect picture, this perfect image of how your life is supposed to unfold for you to be happy and to be content, but it rarely ever looks that way or works out that way in real life. Because how are you supposed to be content with the diagnosis you just got? How are you supposed to be content with the fact that your wife just left you? How are you supposed to be content with the job that you hate and with the situation that you wish you could change, but you just can't? So if you think contentment is found in this perfect scenario or this perfect feeling, then you spend your whole life spinning your wheels to attain the unattainable or to protect what little bit of happiness you have. You believe it's just past the stop sign in the next career, in the next marriage, that it's just one life-changing decision away. And some of those decisions will wreck your life and your attempt to find contentment the wrong way. 
So back to the original question, is it possible to actually be content? And then a follow-up question is, can you be content and still be ambitious? Uh, So we're going to talk about all this in the next two or three episodes. We're going to really live in this tension and talk about contentment, talk about waiting on God, and can you be ambitious as a Christian? But today I want us to really lean in to what contentment is and how you can actually get it. So what is biblical contentment? Let's get into it. Um, So to start, let me just share with you one of the most well-known passages from Paul about contentment. So he's writing to the church in Philippi while he's in prison. And this letter is known for how Paul teaches that as a Christian, you can have joy even in suffering because Paul's writing this in prison, most likely in Rome, and we know that he's facing a capital charge that could cost him his life. So this is no like slap on the wrist. Things are serious here. And he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi about this joy that you can have in suffering. So if there's anyone who has a reason not to be content, it's Paul as he writes this letter. So with that in mind, let's look at what he says in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. This is a, you know quite a few verses, so just hang with me. There's a lot of amazing... Um, life-changing truth in these. So Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things or I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So here's Paul from a prison cell writing a letter claiming that he has learned the secret of being content. And that is not the ideal place in my mind, for him to be writing about what it means to be content. That's not where I would have chosen to have learned this lesson or to have you know, uh, discovered this secret. Uh, it's not where I would have chosen to preach this message from if I were Paul, but maybe there's no better place for Paul to share what it means to be truly content. Because look, Paul wasn't saying that he was content with his prison. He wasn't saying that he had learned the secret of being content with uh, the the fear of being put to death. He wasn't saying he learned the secret of being content with the lack of resource. He didn't say he was content with getting persecuted for the gospel. No, he said something um, more profound and, and hopefully uh, something that's going to give you a lot more hope. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. In, not with. Paul isn't telling us how to be content with your situation, how to be content with your season. He's saying that you can learn to be content in your season. That one preposition makes all the difference in the world. It's not how to be content with your trial, but it's the fact that Jesus promises a way to find contentment in your trial. Contentment 
get this, this is, this is important. Contentment isn't being satisfied with bad circumstances. It's learning to be satisfied in God in the middle of any circumstances. Let me say that again. Contentment isn't being satisfied with bad circumstances. It's learning to be satisfied in God in the middle of any circumstances. It's, it's okay to say this situation is not good and I want to change it. But contentment is saying, I'm going to be satisfied in God, even if this doesn't change. Um, and we're going to talk some more about that as we go. But one of the things that stopped the first century world in their tracks was people like Paul, who in a prison cell, they still had joy. Uh, people who, in facing horrible persecution, still found a way to rejoice. People who had found the secret of being content in any and every situation. So it's not with your situation, it's in your situation. If that's true for Paul, when he's facing death, when he's lost his freedom, it can be true for us too. I can already hear some of you, your thoughts going, and you're like, okay, that sounds cute and all, the whole, it's not with, it's in, but it doesn't matter what preposition you use, that doesn't change how I feel. Well, Paul, thankfully, gets even more practical than just changing your prepositions, because there's one part of this passage that I believe unlocks the secret he's talking about and that Paul wants to share, not just with the church in Philippi, but with all of us today. And it's in verse nine. It says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So here's what the Lord showed me as I've been studying this passage. Contentment isn't found in the pursuit of a perfect feeling. Contentment is formed through the persistence of practice. Contentment isn't found in the pursuit of a perfect feeling. Contentment is formed through the persistence of practice. Paul is saying you have to put contentment into practice. It's not a feeling that just happens to you once and for all. You've got to learn to start practicing contentment in whatever situation you're in. So contentment, it's not a perfect feeling that you have to feel all the time or that eludes you. Contentment is a practice. It takes work. It takes discipline. But it also gives us hope that there are tangible things that we can do that actually form a heart of contentment. It's not some magical thing, this vague thing that we don't you know, know how to, how to find. We can actually put it into practice. So you can be content in your situation, but it takes practice. And this is the secret. I love to play guitar. My favorite guitar player in the world is Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, and if you have a different favorite guitar player, I respect your opinion. You're, you're just wrong. He's the best. Um, but you know, I didn't come out of the womb playing guitar like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, that would have been a very awkward birthing process for my mom. But you know, I've, I've worked hard at playing guitar, and I'm nowhere near the level of Stevie. Not even anywhere close. But I know my chords, and I can play my chords, the ones that I know, in my sleep. But it took years and years and years of practice. It wasn't natural until I practiced it to make it nat natural. And Paul is saying, you're not going to be prone to make the choice that leads to contentment. But there are some skills you need to learn and to practice, skills that he worked his whole life to develop. And I believe if we put these things into practice too, we will see more of the contentment in our life that we want and that God promises. Contentment uh, looks like trust and gratitude and peace, but it is formed through practice. So I want to teach you and take you through some contentment practice for the rest of our time today.
just really quickly, I want to give you three practices that each will reveal a new aspect of what contentment actually is and is meant to look like. So these are three ways Paul said you can practice contentment in your current circumstances, no matter what's going on. And the first practice is this. Practice prayer and petition. Practice prayer and petition. So let me tell you a little story about uh, my daughter, Adley. Adley's favorite place to eat is a place called Genghis Grill. It's where you can like, you go up and you can put whatever meat you want on on your plate and whatever vegetables, and then they kind of stir fry everything. Um, and she loves it. It's it's moderately healthy, um, and she likes to try to eat healthy. But Genghis is her place, and so anytime we ever ask her where she wants to eat, it's always Genghis Grill. And so we take her to Genghis Grill a decent amount, but it's not really close to our house. So there have been times when we say no. Well, this was years ago. One day, um, I'd been out visiting campuses uh, in my role as worship pastor at Elevation. And when I came home and Adley and and Ferris and the rest of my my family came home, um, Ferris is my wife, uh, Adley had this big smile on her face. And I was like, man, did God must have spoken something to you today in church. Like, what what was it? What did he say? And she was like, no, I mean, church was awesome, but mommy took me to Genghis Grill after church. And I told her that's where I wanted to eat. And I thought she was going to say no, but she said yes. And we went to Genghis. And at first I was like, you really thought you just automatically assumed she was going to say no, because I have proof if you look in our bank account that we say yes to you a whole lot. But uh, as I was thinking about it, yes, we have said no sometimes, but we said yes more than we've said no. And I realized as I was reflecting on that later that my first instinct is to think that same thing about God, that the Lord's disposition towards me is no. You know, God won't take me to Genghis. He might take me to McDonald's, but not Genghis Grill. So why do I doubt, after I'm looking over how good God has been to me in my life, why do I say that God is good, but doubt that He wants good things for me? Why do I think He's going to say no instead of yes? And so I grew up with this thought uh, that if I really wanted something, I just need to be content without it because anything I want too much must be an idol. That was kind of my, my upbringing of thinking anything that I wanted too much, then God didn't want that for me. And I know that's a messed up view of God and grace, but I always had to work through that growing up. And yes, there are a lot of times God says no. There are a lot of times we don't get the thing that we want. We don't get our dream. We don't get the thing that that we're hoping for. And yes, there's a legitimate pain and scars that you have and I have where life hasn't turned out the way we want it to. We all have disappointments. We all have received a no from God. But I believe some of us have misdefined contentment because of that as believing for a no, so we're not disappointed when we ask for a yes and don't get it. So we think contentment is lowering our expectation and believing for a no, so we're not disappointed when we ask for a yes, but don't get it. And we talked about this last week when we talked about why we pre-reject ourselves. We just go ahead and say no because we want to protect ourselves from that feeling of being denied. And so I'm sometimes afraid to believe for anything from God because I've lowered my level of expectation and I'm claiming I'm being content when really I'm just being complacent, when really I'm not acting full of faith. And contentment is not complacency. Paul doesn't say, accept your situation. Paul says, ask. Ask for God to move. Ask for God to work. In Philippians 4, 6, 
He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul says, offer up prayers and petitions. And I was drawn to the word petition. It sounds strong. It sounds like um, just deliberate and full of faith. And here's the definition of petitioning. It says, to make or present a formal request to an authority with respect to a particular cause. To make or present a formal request to an authority with respect to a particular cause. So contentment isn't found in resigning myself to the way things are. It's recognizing there is someone in authority over my life who has the power to make them better. Let me say it again, but in a slightly different way. Contentment isn't resigning yourself to just accept the way things are. It's resolving in your heart to hold on to the hope that Christ is with you, even if things never change, while still appealing to Him to make them better. See, there's something incredibly freeing when I realize that I am not the final authority over my life, and neither are you. So do what you can to make it better. Some of you are praying for God to do something that He's already given you the power and freedom to do, and we'll get to that in a moment. But when you hit a wall, after you've done all you know to do, like many of us do, we must trust Jesus, and we must ask Him to move and recognize that He's the one with final authority, because it's in the asking that we move from doubt to dependence. It's in the asking when we stop hiding from God and start hoping in God, and a heart that doesn't hope cannot cultivate contentment. And it's realizing that I'm not going to vent to the people with no authority, hoping that they can change my situation. That just makes it worse. I'm bringing it to God, who's the only one with authority to change the unchangeable, to change the things that I cannot change. And His authority also means He's wise enough to know that when what I want isn't what is best. I may want God to say yes to my plans. In fact, I always want God to say yes to my plans. Uh, But He wants me to yield to His purposes and learn that He can work things out for my good even when the answer is no. Because even when God says no, He's still saying yes. He's saying yes to growing my character. He may say no to what I want, but He's saying yes to me learning what it means to trust. God is a good God who gives far more than He withholds. And even what He withholds, is for our good. So it's in the prayers and petitions that I remember that God cares and our hearts are not wired to find their hope in a lesser authority. They're wired to find their hope only in Him. So that's the first practice, practice prayer and petition. Here's the second practice, practice finding your whatever. Practice finding your whatever. So here's the thing that I think is so profound in the writings and life of Paul. If anyone had a reason to complain, it was him. If anyone had a reason to feed his discouragement, Paul was the guy who deserved to do that. Uh, He was the guy who deserved to pout if he wanted to pout. But what we see in Paul is that he didn't deny the reality of his situation. He just learned where to look. He didn't deny the reality reality of his situation. He just learned where to look. Paul is telling us he's learned the art of finding the whatever, finding whatever would fuel his faith, not feed his fear. Because in verse nine, Paul said, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And here's what I'm learning. There is a whatever in every season and every circumstance, even the most painful ones. 
because your contentment is formed by whatever you choose to focus on, whatever you choose to feed, um, whatever you choose, that determines your contentment. And this is very important. It's not whatever feels true. It's not whatever feels noble. It's not whatever feels um, like it's the, it's the final say on the situation. It's whatever is. Whatever is true in this moment, because contentment isn't a feeling, it's a focus. And even in the prison, Paul found a whatever. And that whatever for him was focusing on others. He pivoted his focus from his prison cell to his purpose. Because sometimes you're not content because you feel like you haven't found your purpose or you can't live it out where you are. But that's why what we talked about several episodes ago about portable purpose is so important because you carry your purpose anywhere. Paul had purpose with him in prison. But finding your whatever isn't natural. It takes practice. That's why having some type of daily gratitude practice, you know, in your prayer life or in your journal. I know a lot of people who, you know, they either start their day or end their day writing like the five things they're most grateful for. Um, you know, our family, we often sit around the table and we do highs and lows and we try to share the highs of our days um, so that we can really find something that God did in our life that day. I've heard Pastor Craig Rochelle say that grateful people can find a blessing, enlarge a blessing, or create a blessing in almost any situation. And so you know people who can find something wrong with any situation, with anything good. Maybe you are that person, but I think we all have that tendency. Paul is saying uh, that you can become the type of person who looks for the fingerprints of God in anything I want to be that kind of grateful person who can find a blessing, enlarge a blessing, or create one in almost any situation. Um, and so are you on the lookout for the goodness of God? Um, you might say, this situation isn't good, but I know my God is good. I know this is hard, but my God can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I love Psalm 103, verse 2, and this is the NLT translation, where it says, let all that I am praise the Lord May I never forget the good things He does for me. It doesn't say good things He did for me. It doesn't say the good things He will do for me. It's the good things He does for me. God's goodness is in the present tense. So are you on the lookout for it? Be on the lookout each day for God's goodness. It's all a matter of focus, of finding your whatever. What is God trying to teach you? How is He going to grow your character? You can be thankful for even that. You can be thankful that, yes, I can't see anything good around me, but Jesus, this situation is causing me to, to know you more and to identify with you in your suffering. There's something that you can hold on to. Contentment isn't denying the reality of your situation. It's looking for the evidence of God at work in your situation. All right, here's the final contentment practice for the day. It's this, practice obeying what you already know. Practice obeying what you already know. Because Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Now, Paul was their pastor. He was their teacher. Um, he taught them the scriptures. And Paul is saying, do what you know to do. Do what I've taught you to do. Do what I have modeled for you. Live out what you know. Follow the example of the people in your life that you look up to um, whose life that you want to emulate, and ask yourself the question, what can I do now? What part of, of God's Word can I obey right now, even in this situation that's hard? Maybe what is in my power to do right now to change the situation? See, contentment 
isn't passively waiting for a situation to get better. It's actively doing what you already know to improve what you have the power to improve. And sometimes that's just your perspective. Sometimes that's how you're going to live with integrity in your situation. And sometimes it's actually doing something tangible to make your situation better. Uh, So while I was on staff at Elevation, uh, one of the things that we talked about a lot and I love this whole concept, it's about thinking inside the box because people always tell you to think outside the box. But if you think outside of the box, I get what people are saying by that, but there can be a lot of frustration because you can think all kinds of things that are outside the box, usually things that involve more money than you have that require a different skill set than you have. Maybe it requires a team that you don't have. You know, you can think outside the box of all these million dollar ideas, but you've got a hundred bucks in your bank account. And so sometimes thinking outside the box can lead to frustration, but when you think in the box, it causes you to work with what you already have and to get creative with what you have. So look at Paul. Paul was probably thinking, what can I do in prison? I can't travel to preach. Um, I can't, you uh, you know, go and check up on the churches, but I can write a letter. And so Paul wrote some of his most powerful letters from prison, uh, and God used what he had. He had parchment, and he had you know, people that could deliver the letters. There were certain things he had at his disposal, and he had wisdom, wisdom, and what God was speaking to him in his trial, and he could do something with that. And for me, I, I learned this lesson in a new way a couple years ago when I was really wanting to to teach more and to preach more and to write more. And the way my job looked in that current season, I didn't get to do as much of that as I wanted to. I got to do it some, but I was kind of feeling this restlessness inside of me. And I felt like God started to speak to me, well, what can you do? And so I started to do a few new things with uh, my worship team where we would work through some different books together. And we started doing these weekly prayer meetings. And, and then I started getting to the office you know, an hour early every morning And I just started to write, and I had no agenda of what it was going to become. But I was like, God, I want to start just writing down the things that you're speaking to me. And little by little, it started to become this book. And I got excited about this book idea, and I was like, I'm just going to to write. And I had no, when I started it, no master plan of, well, I'm going to release it on this day, and it's going to, you know, go out to this many people. I was just enjoying the process day by day of writing and and really wrestling with the things that God was teaching me. And I realized that I had so much joy just doing something that God had put in me, no matter if anybody would ever read it or not. Now, once I got done with the book, then I was like, hey, I think I actually want to do something with this. And so I did what was in my power to do and started trying to find a way to release it, um, which it actually is going to be released uh, next year. So I'm really excited about that but I found joy in the process before I knew anything else about that. But I was working with what I had to work with, with my team and with my writing. And so God began to stir something new in me and I found new joy in that season. So what can you do with the passions God has given you? What can you do with the frustration you have? Can that actually lead you into a gift that you didn't even realize you have? Because a lack of contentment results from a fixation on what we don't have and what we think we deserve. But a practice of contentment involves bringing what we do have to God and recognizing that all we've been given that we could never earn.
A practice of contentment involves bringing what we have to God and recognizing that everything we've been given, we can never earn. It's all a gift from God. So you can practice contentment. Even if you don't feel it right now, even if it seems elusive, you can practice contentment today. So let's review the three contentment practices. I know I've given you a lot. So if you've been multitasking, come back to me. Here's the three practices. Number one, practice prayer and petition. Number two, practice finding your whatever. And three, practice obeying what you already know. And in fact, just to to make this even more helpful, and this is what I want you to work through this week and pray through this and journal through this. Here's a contentment checklist around each of those practices. So when you are struggling with discontent, when you're struggling with with feeling like you're restless, um, you feel like you know there's there's something missing in your joy. Ask yourself these three questions. Am I appealing to the right authority? Am I focusing on the right whatever? And am I ignoring something I know I should do? Let me go through those again and notice how they match up with each one of the practices. Am I appealing to the right authority? That leads you to practice prayer and petition. Am I focusing on the right whatever? That leads you to practicing finding your whatever. And am I ignoring something I know I should do? And that moves you to practice obeying what you already know. So I pray that those questions will help you. I pray that you will be able to put contentment into practice this week. So thanks so much for joining me. That's all for today's episode. I really, really enjoyed it. I love this podcast. I love getting um, to go on this journey with all of you. I love hearing from you. And so thanks for your support. Thank you for sharing these episodes. In fact, if this episode really spoke to you, Right now, text it to a friend, share it on Instagram, share it on Facebook um, for somebody that's struggling with contentment themselves. And don't forget to grab your free ebook, Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul at wadejoy.com. And so thanks so much again for joining me today. I can't wait to be with you next week for Dreamers and Disciples. 